0: All right, men, I, I am really excited about um, being here with you all this morning and talking about the outward face of our church. Um, let's open in a word of prayer, and then we will dive in as the Lord enables us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what it is to know God not just to know about God, but to know God, to walk with God um, in all humility, <clears throat> seeking your glory um, and desiring, Lord, that <clears throat> the whole world would know uh, the glories of the gospel. Help us as men individually in our homes and the spheres of influence that you give to us in your providence and, Lord, through this church, to be faithful stewards of the faith given once for all to us that we might faithfully pass it on in Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, well... (laughs) <clears throat> the outward face, as most of you know, is a term that we use to describe something very important in the trilogy of faces that we talk about here at Christ Covenant Church. The trilogy of faces meaning our upward face, who we are in relation to the God who made us and who we serve. Our inward face, how the upward face reorients the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we process our sin, the way that we seek um, God's grace, and the way that we live out of gratitude. And that, in turn, leads to the outward face, which is what our witnesses to a watching world, and the way that we engage people who are um, not a part of the family of God. There are a couple of terms that we're using today, and I don't want to borrow those terms without starting by defining them, because I think it's going to matter as we move into this conversation The the first term that we've just discussed, of course, the outward face, it's about our collective face, both as individual believers and as a church, turned toward those who are outside the family of God. So that's the outward face, broadly defined as we'll be referring to it this morning. We're using this term evangelism. Evangelism in this context is meaning the ministry of the Great Commission and the making of disciples from all the nations. Um, missions, in the context in which we are discussing it here, means our evangelism in cross-cultural contexts um, beyond our immediate geography. Uh, and then as we think about outreach, so you'll hear these terms mission and outreach, the mission and outreach ministry of our church, Uh, we'll have a missions team leader, we'll have folks that are involved in various outreach ministries. What's the difference between missions and outreach and how do they connect to evangelism? Hopefully these definitions of terms will help you see at least how we're using those terms here. Outreach in our context means our evangelism in our own cultural context and in our own Immediate geography. Now, it's increasingly the case that when we talk about our own cultural context, of course, um, our cultural context is very often not the cultural context that we assume is our cultural context. Increasingly, people right here in our own neighborhoods are entirely biblically illiterate we think that we have to go to the far corners of the world to find those who've not heard of Christ. It is increasingly becoming the case that um, cross-cultural ministry is right in our own backyard. And in fact, with the recent announcements down the road at the Hebrew Academy, it will literally be right across the road. And so... Um, these are terms that are meant to be helpful, but not really restrictive. It's uh, a way of helping you to understand how we've thought about the evangelistic task of the church in connection to uh, what we do near and far. So hopefully, as we um, move through this discussion, you will... Um, understand better how we think about the church's engagement in evangelism, um, both near and far, and the different dimensions of that. Can't really talk about that well um, without giving you, first of all, a theological uh, framework for the way that we think about this. Because, again, these are not things to be taken for granted the, the whole discussion of evangelism is rooted in a theology of commission, um, a theology of what it means to understand uh, the Great Commission as a mandate um, given to us. We're going to talk more about that as we go, but Matthew 28, 18-20 is one of the cornerstone passages in this regard, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Mark 16.15 um, uh, is in the handouts you've each been given uh, and he said to them, "Go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation." I mean, to me, that is uh, thrilling. But I just want to make a simple observation: we take this seriously as a church, and that's not always the case. In fact, it's not always the case, even in churches in our own denomination. Um, The frozen chosen haven't always had the greatest evangelistic zeal. That's not who we are. That's not, of course, who uh, reformed men and women, boys and girls, are in the world. But it can uh, sometimes be the case that we get comfortable in our circle and we are comfortable staying in our circle and um, not carrying the message of the good news um, beyond that circle. So I just want to begin in terms of theological frameworks by saying there is a theology of commission and we take that very seriously as a church. So you all are going to be invited to participate as members, um, as potentially leaders, etc., in this church, to shape a culture that is intentional about these words that have been entrusted to us about what the business of heaven is for us individually and as a church. Um, The second theological framework conversation that I want to share with you is that This flows out of a theology of gratitude. You will hear us say often here that it is a strategic thing when a man moves from the I have to's to the I get to's. Um, That's modeled for us in all kinds of different ways, but if we really get the gospel it is uh, really unthinkable as, that as individuals, knowing what it is to be under the mercy of Christ, that we do not have an evangelistic uh, impulse uh, in us. It's, um, it's grounded in that uh, framework that I, um, that I like to reference often. This is the, it's called the triple knowledge, as the Reformers referred to it comes out of the Heidelberg Catechism, but the idea of understanding the depths of our guilt, that we know the glories of the grace granted to us, that we might live lives out of gratitude. And our evangelistic witness is connected um, to this. I, um, I love this um, quote from Carl Truman, where he's in a debate about Christian liberty The things that we need to omit—you know—the sins of omission, the sins of commission, and what it is to be commissioned in a way that reflects an understanding of guilt, grace, gratitude—and he says this in his book, "Fools Rush In Where Donkeys Fear to Tread." Don't you wish you could come up with titles like that? I love it. This is where real Christian freedom lies. In the realization that we can do nothing to affect our salvation, that Christ has done it all for us, and that we are able to therefore give ourselves freely and unconditionally in sacrificial service uh, to others. Our little uh, son, Edison, is going off to camp today. It's a big deal. Um... He is part of a ministry called Mount Jubilee Ministries, and they do a wonderful job of engaging the community in this part of the state in a special needs camp every summer. It's arguably his favorite um, week of the year. I um, got up this morning, and I just want to share this. I can't uh, not share this if I can uh, find it, but... On my table were these notes, Dad, with a heart um, and little messages on. But not just one. There was two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven notes. You know, and it really touched me this morning thinking about coming here as he's processing being away. <laughs> as John Mark will attest, he's very concerned about me missing him very much. <laughs> but th- this is the kind of heart, the kind of gratitude that we should feel toward God that. You know is a reflection of the upward face, the inward face, that then flows out into an outward face, mm-hmm. and to me, it was just a gift this morning thinking about um, being with you all uh, to process the theology of gratitude as it relates to evangelism. Um, the theology of dependence is something that we talk about a lot. Uh, Gents, And there is a book that is my favorite on this subject, and we just discussed it recently. Some of you have read through it, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. As a hardcore Arminian in college, very distraught by evangelism because of the feeling that evangelism was dependent on me, This book was a game changer. It was an absolute game changer for me. And to understand as it relates to the evangelical endeavor, the I get to of a theology of gratitude in combination with the realities of a theology of dependence is a really rich part of the kind of church culture that we want to have um, as relating to evangelism in our outward face. Packer, by the way, um, is, I just think, one of the great modern theologians. And he uh, basically says, in the opening to the book, some of you just recently read it, that we all believe in the sovereignty of God as it relates to evangelism. We might not get the fact that we believe it, but if you're a Christian, you really do believe it. He says this, How then... Do you pray? Do you ask God for your daily bread? Do you thank God for your conversion? Do you pray for the conversion of others? If the answer is no, I can only say that I do not think you are yet born again. But if the answer is yes, well, that proves that whatever side you may have taken in debates on this question in the past, in your heart, you believe in the sovereignty of God no less firmly than anyone else. On our feet, we may have arguments about it, but on our knees, we are all agreed. Being um, prayerful as a church about our outward face and our evangelical witness is enormously important, but it's enormously rooted um, in a theology of dependence. Lord, our own salvation is not our own working how dare we think that the salvation of another is our working. Yet you can see at that tipping point how some of our Reformed brethren have moved from that conclusion to the conclusion that there is no theology of commission and there is no theology of gratitude. But in doing that, they miss the mark entirely. And as a church, we don't want to miss that mark it's enormously important and one last point at Christ Covenant Church we believe in a theology of martyrdom what does that mean that means that we believe that we only experience life fully when we know those things for which we are willing to die and Christ modeled A theology of martyrdom that we might follow. Not so that we can be safe, not so that we can never be uncomfortable. Sometimes it's very uncomfortable. I was in a call uh, this past week where somebody was making a presentation, and every time that they used the word women, They spelled it W-O-M-X-N because they don't want the connection, I suppose, between women and men to be too close. I suppose maybe because men aren't supposed to be part of the conversation. I don't know. But in this uh, time where things are so uh, scrambled in terms of our cultural true north having an evangelical witness that is willing to stand in different moments is going to be uncomfortable it is going to involve a theology of martyrdom it is going to involve a process of understanding that the preservation and promotion of yourself is not the most important thing Um, yes (laughs) <laughs> I, for, fortunately, there was, a, there was another woman on the call, um, this was a United Nations call, by the way, and there was another woman on the call, Carolyn, I won't say her last name since this is being recorded, who is a Grove City College graduate, and she said, excuse me, she raised her hand on the Zoom, and she said, what is that word, how do you pronounce it, and why are we seeing it in this presentation? Which was much nicer than me having asked the question. (laughs) But um, a theology of martyrdom is an important concept to understand because we are literally putting people in harm's way and we are literally putting ourselves in harm's way when we are faithful to the theology of commission. And I just dare say this as well, that as a church, if we are not experiencing any kind of discomfort as individual believers, if we are not experiencing some kind of discomfort in terms of the way that we are engaging the culture with the truth of the gospel and biblical worldview, then we are likely not engaged in the theology of commission and the theology of gratitude um, in a way that reflects a theology of dependence. Just process that with me, but that has been a hard discussion for me to have with myself, and I want to encourage you all to consider it deeply as well. Let me say it one more time. If we are not in places where we are feeling uncomfortable, conversations, relationships, stewarded moments, it's likely because we've not taken full stock of the theology of commission, the theology of gratitude, and the theology of dependence. I can't do that because I might risk this, that theology of dependence. I get to. I'm stepping into this moment, not. I have to, and I'll revisit it. Uh, it it's just a a part. I'm sure of where you're all at, because I, I know it's a part of where I'm all at. Sometimes I'm at. Sometimes the culture gives us more moments um, than other moments to reflect on this. But I want to encourage you that the theology of martyrdom relates to. Um, a healthy outward face. And, you know, I look out at you and I think even this week about a text from a uh, dear brother in Christ who's in this room, who's being told what he has to do in the workplace. And it pains him to the deepest places of his soul because he feels that he's being asked to compromise things that he believes to be true. Yes.
1: In my zeal, I've said things that are, that may be true, but are rash and rude, done under the name, in the name of Christ, and because I thought it was my Christian duty. Um, but there wasn't a balance in my heart at that time. And so maybe you can expand on that a little bit as we think about. Theology of martyrdom and what it is to to discern the time where we need to hold our tongues um, and the times that we need to speak up in a society where black and white is very evident, and in a society where we are tempted to attack
0: Mm.
2: instead of embrace. Mm.
0: I, th- I think that's a very important discussion for us to have. I think we're going to have a, a little bit of time to discuss things like that as we go and, dis- and, and talk more about the ways in which we process these different aspects of theological commitment. The principle here is um, certainly not about promoting a martyr's complex where everything I'm doing makes me a glorified martyr because look at me, look at what I'm doing. That's not um, what it's about, of course. It's more about a simple proposition that you never know how much you really believe anything until it's truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. And sometimes it's literal life and death, of course. Um, More often than that, It's about dying or living to something else. Is there something, my reputation, my standing, my discomfort in a potential uh, conversation with somebody where I might not have the answers? Which goes to your point, if we're entering everything With a theology of independence, I am my own. I need to have the answers. This is up to me to win this evangelical moment. We're not carrying those theological convictions that we've just talked about in a balanced way. But I just think it's it's important as we talk about um, the theology of commission, the theology of gratitude, the theology of dependence, to make the point that it will At different times, land us in this additional reality, a theology of martyrdom. And it's not unimportant to highlight it in our age of uh, prosperity gospel that the true gospel actually uh, leads to a different place with, by the way, far more glorious outcomes. And that's the point I'm trying to make with regard to a theology of martyrdom. What are you willing to die to that you might have life and that others might have life and life abundant? It's a really important question to ask and to answer. And no serious Christian, seriously engaged in evangelical witness, doesn't wrestle with the question of the theology of martyrdom. Um How important is this to me, and what will it cost? And will I press on independence, um, in Christ out of gratitude, understanding the commission given to me or not? Dave? Yeah, so John Stone Street has a slightly more applied version of this
1: concept where he calls it the theology of getting fired. <laughs>
0: Yes. Yeah, and you know, I know John um, actually quite well, and there's something else about John, David, that relates to your question, um, Jacob, and that is that he very much believes in the theology of getting fired, but he also believes in the concept of quorum Deo, each man. Coram Deo in matters relating to these. It is um, very uh, important that we are going before the face of God to consider what and when we are, you know, being willing to kill in, in those moments um, in order that the uh, gospel witness might advance. Uh, so, um, th- this is not about easy black and whiteism. There's a, there's a lot of space in here where we have to wrestle with the Lord. We're just trying to articulate some guide star principles that I hope are helpful to you. They've been helpful to us. They reflect the DNA of our church in many ways. And you don't have to go back too far to consider. How we conducted ourselves as a church, for example, during the recent unpleasantness, to see a lot of these principles coming into play, worship mattered more um, evangelistic outreach mattered more than certain other things, as we were looking at a certain calculus at a certain time um, as a you know a gathered group of men seeking. Um, the Lord on these things. So hopefully those principles are helpful as we're talking about evangelism through missions and outreach. It's part of the DNA of our church. There are four more quick points I want to make that are now more from an ecclesiological frame. As we talk about um, our outward face, we, uh, from ecclesiology now, we believe in the church covenantal. Yes? Uh, So the theology of commission... I I, I can make all these available to you, by the way. But the theology of commission, the theology of gratitude, the theology of dependence, and the theology of martyrdom. Those are four theological framing principles. But now I I want to take a step in a slightly different direction and talk specifically about how we view the church as it relates to the evangelical witness um, that we have, because the church is increasingly being deconstructed. I had a missionary come to me for support recently, um, part of an evangelistic outreach, but not connected in any way to uh, the work of a church. And uh, processing how you know, what's really important is that people are reached, the church thing uh, can get sorted out, Different people have different views on that. You know? and I'm, I'm listening, this is not my thinking, this is not the church's thinking, by the way, I'm listening to this person processing, and I'm thinking, we're so different. We, we believe that the epic flow of the covenant runs through this room this morning. We believe that the family of God is primarily made to grow through the faithful families of men. There are principles like that that are transformational in terms of the way that we think about missions and outreach. If we're sending somebody off into missionary work and their first task of evangelism to their family is not happening um, because of that, we step back and say, you know, let's uh, talk about first things first. These are challenging concepts that relate to the way that we approach um, missions and evangelism. We believe in the church glocal. Now, what do I mean by that? That's a term from one of my mentors, Stuart Briscoe. Uh, And he, he liked to say that we shortchange the people in our church so much when we give them a vision of the church as our church. It's this one. This is your vision. Um, Because the church runs across the ages. The church, Big C, runs across the continents. The church, Big C, if we're connecting this church with the church, the vision that we give our children of um, what the, the church is and how the bride of Christ ought to be contended for is entirely different. So part of the reason why we're so excited about having the Carter family with us um, as we did for uh, an extended period of time is it's a reminder of that. The church is here. The church is there. The church runs across the ages. Every time we sing through the hymn book, and are singing a hymn from the 7th century, and singing a hymn from the 18th century, and singing a hymn from the Gettys in our generation. Doesn't that thrill you? It's a vision of the, the church glocal. It's a vision of the church covenantal um, that runs across the ages. It's, um, it's also a reminder of the church invisible, meaning the church... Is um, there's a visible church, but then there's the true church that sits inside the visible church, which is the invisible church. Reminder of that that when we, um, you know, are gathered here as uh, Presbyterians, uh, Kyle might quote a Chesterton, uh, we might sing a Wesley hymn, um, etc. It's it's about being and connecting with um, the church invisible, and then the last point is the church triumphant. If We don't give a picture um, of a people, a gathered people of God that believe that the bride of Christ is the bride of Christ and that the gates of hell will not prevail against her. And that all this talk about deconstructing church and I, you know, maybe listen online. It's running hard right now. We don't need to meet with a gathered people. Um, It's not important for this evangelistic outreach to be connected to a local church. All those things are assumptions connected that go against our core beliefs as a church that um, is grand and glorious because it's nothing less than the bride of Christ and the gates of hell will not prevail against her, and we will contend for her. And a part of that is reflected in our zeal, in our outward face, toward evangelism through missions and outreach. That's, if that's not palpable in us as leaders and this church, it won't be palpable in the people of our church either. And these underlying... Um, assumptions are what stir all that in us. So if you don't understand the theological framework and if you don't understand our our view of the church and the church's role in evangelism, mission, and outreach, um, then you're not going to understand the practical ways that we go about doing the work that we do in the area of missions and outreach. Does that make sense? So those are kind of defining terms and grounding principles. And very importantly, to think about the grounding principles in terms of general theological principles and then specific principles in terms of the way that we understand the church and the church's role in that whole um, endeavor. Uh, And if you don't come out of a review of those principles and feel a little bit of um, just wanting to write love letters... Then, then I think we need to uh, revisit the, those theological principles um, more deeply together because um, they are the wellspring from which all the other activity um, comes. So, um, any questions up to this point? So nice. We've got till 11 o'clock. 10.59. It's really, really nice. Any other questions? I think Eric's bringing in donuts, so don't worry. We've got coffee coming. Um, no? Should we continue to roll? Are you going to make this, uh, uh, this uh, portion of your presentation available? Yes. Um, I will make sure I figure out how to get a copy of this uh, deck to everyone. Yeah. Er, If Eric says it, yeah, it'll get done. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. (laughs) I was going to do this all as just a single Excel spreadsheet, and then I was like, nah, it's just too, too. (laughs) Um, Yes. Yeah, I do. I think that uh, there is all kind of wrong word focus in worship. And if you have wrong word focus, as Neil likes to say, if you get the God question wrong, everything else gets wrong (laughs) downstream. And in this particular case, and I know this sounds strange to some of you, I was a hardcore, free-will Armenian. Actually, this book was the first book that really cracked that armor. Um, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by Jay Packer. But I just want you to process that I uh, was very uncomfortable in the evangelistic endeavor before I became comfortable that it was about being simply alongside, what a privilege, what an honor, what an invitation, alongside God as he was doing his work. And the fruit of it was dependent on him. When I got into that dependency place, it... That the evangelistic endeavor became actually liberating, freeing, thrilling, all of those things. I think, ironically, when we, we make ourselves the center, which, of course, churches are doing in mass now with regard to worship, but also with regard to evangelism, uh, it creates a false kind of works righteousness Uh, that when pressing itself out in evangelism, is um, it just gets really icky, actually. Um, Because it becomes about us, just like doing any other good work. It's another good work box to check. But when, go back with me now, sorry for repeating this, but I'm... Dumb. I need things repeated. I need to repeat things over and over and over again for them to finally sink in. When we start with a theology of commission and a theology of gratitude, we're going. You know, we're in that forward po- pro- po- uh, posture as it relates to um, evangelistic witness, our outward face. We're going. But we're going. With a theology of dependence um, that is firm enough that we're willing to risk things, a theology of martyrdom. That framework for an outward face is life-giving, um, and it's what w- we hope will be part, an increasing part of the aroma of our church here at Christ Covenant. Yes, Adam. Yes, it's a very good point. The um, the commissions are framed with Christ before Christ after. Christ to the left, Christ to the right. You know, the the great um, LaRica um, call into commission, to your left, to your right, behind me, before me, beneath me, above me. That's how we ought to take our Um, witness our outward face into the world. Okay, so how do we do that in a vibrant way as a church? If you have looked uh, during the week at your very brief uh, reading assignment, you've um, noticed that we talk a little bit in here about this principle of gather and scatter. At Christ's Covenant, we come together for worship each Lord's Day and then go back out to various communities and vocations where God gives us opportunities to share Christ during the week. There is a rhythm of coming together to worship and then going back out to share as salt and light in the world. We call it gather and scatter. Thus, much of our evangelism takes place Quietly and informally. Some among us are called to full-time evangelism, either in our country or abroad. Uh, Thus we recognize and support these different areas of evangelistic ministry wholeheartedly. But the principle here in terms of now moving from frameworks to how we do what we do uh, involves a gather and scatter principle. We believe that we come together to be fortified in Christ, that as we then go back out um, into our spheres of influence, beginning with our own homes, our own marriages, our own parenting um, opportunities, our own circles of influence, that we are carrying uh, this uh, witness. So this is um, what we mean when we talk about the gather and uh, scatter principle. Anybody have any comments or questions on that? Okay.
1: you think
3: you're serving God.:
0: Yeah, I actually really liked the word when it first came out until I heard five different people define it in five different ways, and then I realized, oh, this is dangerous. Um, and it's, you're right, become one of those really frustrating terms. Do we want to be missional in the sense that we want to reflect uh, a commitment to Christian witness and ministry in our own culture and the wider culture? Of course, we say each week that we exist to what? Proclaim the word of God, to model the grace of God, to extol the glory of God from this place. To the ends of the earth. That's, Dave, to your point, missional. But it's missional defined in a certain way, whereas missional, unfortunately, now has become defined in a different way. If you look in the text here, you'll see a linkage to the second point. This work begins at home. And this principle is the principle of uh, concentric circles. We're gonna talk about some of the specific um, mission and outreach work that we're involved in in a second, kind of map it back to these things. But in terms of concentric circles, it's really important to us that as you think about your outward face, you're starting in the most intimate um, places. You know, what is your outward face in relation to the way that you are shepherding your wives? what is your outward face in terms of the ways in which you are um, showing that face to your children, to um, your workers, to your um, friends, etc.? I mean, we'll all define our concentric circles in different ways with different colors, but it's really important uh, to think about this challenge one of our sons is working for a young man who's been very successful and he's making all kinds of promises on the employment front to our son while having an affair and that kind of duplicity has characterized too much of the church. The church that starts with an outward face that's about flash bang, flash in the pan type stuff is a dangerous church. The execution of the sound and lights and dry ice effects may be spectacular, but you know to, to start at the most inner um, places of who we are, quorum Deo, before God, as it relates to our outward face, and to understand um, how the outer and the inner man can be one is really important, and it relates to the way that we think about equipping the saints, equipping all of you for evangelism. In Kyle's sermon this morning, if you are not feeling the division of your souls um, so that you can... As you go into the new week, if I'm not filling the division of my soul, as we go into the new week to to reorder our affections from our most you know intimate um, missionary work out to uh, the extremities, it um, it's not good. This painting, by the way, is worth a fortune. Just so you all know. Um. I know you probably think Eddie did this, too, but he didn't. It's worth a fortune. Um, (laughs) um, Mercy. How do we process mercy as a principle of the way that we approach uh, evangelism? This is a really hot topic, of course, because mercy has, in many churches, become the main thing, right? Right? And when something that ought not to be the main thing becomes the main thing, um, it becomes a master. And we're seeing that happen with regard to mercy and its connection to evangelism and outreach in the church. At the same time, is it important for us as a church to be about mercy as it relates to our outward face? Yes. Why? Why? Because Christ modeled it. We were shown mercy, mercy, so we're called to give it, and actually are told that if we don't, we should question whether or not we understand the extent to which we've been shown mercy. Right? My favorite parable, the parable of the unforgiving debtor. Did the church, as we see the church doing its work, In the scriptures, model mercy as a part of its outward face. It did. Um, And um, so, this is a really important um, principle in the way that we approach uh, mission and outreach in our church. And we're going to touch on this in a second as we see some of the things that we're involved in and ask why. Like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Um, It comes back, among other things, to the principle of mercy. And then the principle of hospitality. This is not to suggest that you should be just flat out crazy wacky, um, like Rachel and I can sometimes be in, in this regard. But it does mean that as leaders in the church, you are called to be intentional about hospitality. It's actually one of the marks of those who are qualified for leadership in the church for a reason. And it should characterize um, the outward face that we have, um, not just modeled inside the church, but modeled um, to the watching world as well. Can anybody think of an example from the scriptures? I'm not giving scripture examples on these points of mercy and hospitality for a reason. I want You to be connecting dots. Where do we see mercy and hospitality meeting in the gospel, in the scriptures, as it relates to how we should order our outward face? Just give me some examples. Parable of the Good Samaritan. It wasn't just that he showed mercy, he then turned from mercy... um, to hospitality. Paul's letters to the is all to the beginning
3: Disney, and to people
0: that were hospitable. Yes. Hospitable and merciful, among other things, in caring for him or caring for others who were carrying the good news, who were evangelists, carrying mission outreach. The prodigal son. How, how is the prodigal son an example of mercy and hospitality?
2: the it, it
0: actually just makes me emotional. Thinking about the way in which, throughout the biblical witness, mercy and hospitality meet in reflecting faithful evangelical witness. Sorry.
2: How about the innkeeper in Bethlehem that took you, Mary and Joseph?
0: Good example. Yep. The appointment of deacons.
1: The appointment of deacons. The
0: appointment of deacons.
1: It's also um there's also Paul as he goes out in his mission, missionary journeys, he's always he's he's taking up a collection for the saints of Jerusalem. Mercy. Going
0: yes. in hand hand. The Proverbs, I mean
1: they're all full of caring for the four and the needing, and you have know, the Proverbs thirty-one in terms of example to
0: us all. Yes. Uh, The Proverbs are full of the exhortation to mercy and hospitality. Uh, There are many other examples, too. Uh, Remember, as it relates to evangelism, that Jesus will sometimes even say, you don't know that that person has come to you. You know, an angel unaware... Uh, And these are opportunities for us to be found faithful and then trust the harvest to God. And here's what's amazing. If we are a church that is generous toward mercy, generous uh, toward hospitality, there is a sense in which uh, we can trust outcomes uh, to God in ways that may surprise us. When we adopted Edison, speaking of him earlier, I will tell you, Rachel and I really believed that we were doing something in faithfulness to God to help that little boy. And I suppose in a way you could say that we were. But what we've come to discover, as my morning experience reminds me, is that in being faithful to God's call on us in that situation, in that moment, God was doing something to help us. That's how God's economy works. When we lean into principles like these that are life-giving principles, they may be uncomfortable, they may be hard, they may be counter-predictable, Countercultural, whatever, but God promises to bring um, goodness from it. Okay, so now I'm going to end trying to land this plane with some more tactical things about how we do what we do, given the uh, context of definitions, the theological and ecclesiological framework. Um, this is more the nuts and bolts. This is more the workshop-type um, Discussion and I'm going to move through this very quickly. Um, we process things in terms of opportunities relating to evangelism in mission and outreach through a couple of different layers. And sometimes it's difficult. Think about different things having different relative values as we look at opportunities, because there are lots of opportunities to support different um, ministries, right? So... Do we think about locations of uh, ministry opportunity? Yes. It's a, it's a factor. We would like to, as a church, have a footprint more broadly, globally, versus just supporting missionaries who are in Europe or just supporting ministries um, that are in the United States. So that is a factor. Types of ministry are a factor. Denominational interests are a factor. All things being equal, would we prefer to support somebody from our denomination, all things being equal, versus somebody from the PCA, somebody from an independent um, missions movement, etc. cetera? Yes. Um, and then there are relational contexts that we consider. How uh, close are we to the people who we're creating relationships with. So it's as, as we look at different opportunities, there's the, um, you know, there's the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth um, kind of matrix where we're thinking in those terms. But there are many other factors as well that makes it more like a 3D chessboard sometimes as we're um, assessing ultimately as a session where we think um, the church's um, priorities uh, could be, should be, as it relates to missions and outreach. So I'm going to, with that background, just give you a couple of examples and have you fill in the blanks in terms of why we would be involved with some of these ministries, either in a missions context or an outreach context. The Pregnancy Network in Greensboro, for example, has been a ministry partner for us for some time. We have a liaison, which we'll discuss in a moment, to that area of ministry support. Um, We think it's important. How does our outward face commitments to evangelism, missions, and outreach connect to this engagement? Is this missions or is it outreach in the way that we would define it? Yes.
1: Well, we support, we support life, and we support the new birth, and so it would be, um, it would be natural and consistent for us to support the birth of children who may go um,
0: unbirthed. Yep. Uh, well, that, that's certainly the uh, values part of why we've made this decision. Is this an example of missions or outreach as we define those terms earlier? Outreach. Outreach. Yeah, this is an example of outreach. And we, we do it because at the core of what we believe, we actually have a position paper, I believe, Eric, don't we, on, on our uh, position on pro-life? No, we've discussed one at least internally. Yes, um, but this is um, this is an important reflection of uh, how we believe the gospel witness works its way out in love to our immediate culture and context. So it is also an example of what principles. Mercy, most and foremost. Um, okay, lead with character. Some of you have been on a lead with character trip. Um, is this an example of missions or outreach? We've actually viewed "Lead with Character," Eric. You can correct me if I'm wrong, as an opportunity for missions and outreach because we use it to engage uh, local community and people, including people who are not part of our church, um, and to uh, help you know shape their vision of biblical manhood. Because we believe that the vision of biblical manhood is key and core to our evangelistic witness. Beginning in homes and emanating out into the world from that. Would you, how would you add to that, well, Eric? we, we categorize it as leadership development. So it's one of those,
3: you know, infant investments in what could be, what could be both. So it's, you know, investment in, on the early side of the
0: local leaders all the way to the city. Troubadour Christmas Concert. Anybody know what organization the Troubadour Christmas Concert benefits? Room at the Inn. Room at the Inn Inn is a Catholic charity. They were founded as a Catholic charity. They're doing very um, important work in our community in providing a home uh, for battered women and in many cases battered women and their children. Why why, first of all, would we partner with a Catholic ministry? Catholics are doing the Holy Catholic Church? The broader. Yes, it does have to do with a larger vision of uh, what the church is, the historic church certainly includes. Uh, Catholics who have been believers, some of whom we uh, might quote or reference in our um, in our sermons, in our teaching. And as even though we don't agree with the theology of the Catholic Church, there is a common shared faith reflected in the Apostles' Creed. But what was very important for us in getting to know Room at the End was that Room at the Inn requires anybody who's staying in their home to be connected with a local church. And they send in the neighborhood of 50% of their borders to um, evangelical Protestant churches. It's, they, they want to encourage them to uh, connect with the faith community um, that they've been a part of or that they're open to being a part of. But w- what principles does this um, commitment to supporting Room at the Inn reflect? You're going to the yeah, deeper question of why we sometimes are in agreement, for example, with Room at the Inn or with Pregnancy Care Network when there are people from different denominations, even denominations that we may have great difficulty with, who are a part of it, believing that it's a part of their gospel witness. Um, but this is mercy ministry. This is hospitality. Um, and... Um, and so forth. Same thing, food pantry. John Mark, each month, is delivering uh, food, and we're distributing it in partnership with other area churches, mostly Trinity Church. Again, different denominational church in partnership with them. Every bag of food delivered with prayer in the name of Christ, you know, seeking that person's Well being as it relates to spiritual nourishment more than um, their physical nourishment. And as a church, uh, you know, to us, this is a helpful principle um, to remember that sometimes the most important work in the long view can be the work in the short view that seems to suggest the least amount of progress. We'll trust that to um, God, but uh, that is uh, ex- an example in that regard. Um, we, um, referencing those couple of examples, that's well, just a couple of examples, by the way, I just pulled at random, a few examples of the way that we are involved in evangelistic outreach through missions and um, local outreach. We use a partnership model that aims at deep, authentic relationships, grounded in support and prayer um, as the focus. Uh, Though sometimes one-time gifts are made to specific projects, we usually are involved over a long period of time with the ministries that we partner with. In each case, we're looking for Christ-centered and church-connected ministries. If ministries believe that they are an island, Um, we were not excited about that because ultimately we believe that the task of discipleship is primarily a task that is worked out in the context of the church. So if somebody is just about collecting decision cards and they're not serious about making a connection to the life of a gospel centered church, we're not going to be looking at that kind of um, evangelistic work uh, with particular favor because we think that working with church-connected ministries is uh, vitally important in the work of discipleship, which is the heart of evangelism. Um, Just so that you know, the way that we make um, the decisions that we make is through a a structure that is session-led as it relates to final decisions on missions and outreach allocations and partnerships, Um, though the feedback that we get, particularly through our missions team leadership and our outreach liaisons, is helpful and important. We may not know about particular needs that a missionary has. If it isn't for our missions team engagement, we may not know about specific opportunities that we might have as it relates to um, our outreach partnerships in the city. If we didn't have liaisons who were going to some of those local meetings and being um, the the face of our church uh, in those uh, contexts. So we, we're trying to uh, advance this more specifically, more proactively. I have to tell you that <clears throat> um, as the session member who is on point for missions and outreach, this paper is light and needing of updating, including some of these theological uh, framework principles. This is much more of a tactical overview, um, and I apologize that you don't have more than that in preparation for this um, session to sink your teeth into, but again, hopefully sharing the PowerPoint from this conversation uh, will help and, um, and enable you to consider how you can help shape a culture that represents the convictions with thrill and delight that we've talked about this morning, so that our outward face is winsome, to your point earlier, Jacob. It's winsome. It's God-centered. It's not us-centered. Look at what we're doing. Look at the cards we've collected um, relating to people who've made these decisions. It's the opposite in terms of how we want to project an outward face and ultimately um, celebrating things, as we experienced in that send-off meal, which many of you were at for the Carters, celebrating things that bring a culture to life. Because, as we like to say, we create a culture more by the things that we celebrate than by the things that we regulate. So we will create a culture as an outward face that gives clear indicators to the watching world of who we are in Christ. Um, And as the Lord enables us, it will be a lot about the things that we celebrate that call us to basically um, be sending love letters because of God's love for us. And the way that that spills itself out into um, the world in which he's placed us. Um, so um, we, I know, we're um, pressing the bottom of the hour. It's been a long, uh, a long session here, but there's really a lot to cover in terms of how we think about these issues the story behind the story, so to speak, is what makes the specific stories of our engagement in different areas of missions and outreach um, come to life. So um, I'm going to stop there and just see if there are any questions or observations. Dave. Uh, So the food goes from the baskets downstairs into John Mark's truck or car (laughs) and over to the Trinity Pantry where my mom and dad, John Mark's grandpa and grandma, meet us and um, help stock the food for deliveries that are made to um, specific people by often my parents and others who go, meet with those people, pray, um, and give them um, a, um, a helpful amount of food in the name of Christ. And part of the reason why we've been very tactical in that way is that, as I was discussing with Dan earlier this week, um, sometimes food pantry drop-offs end up turning into people peddling food on the streets or elsewhere. Um, It's stewardship just like the kind of stewardship challenges that we have in every aspect of missions and outreach as a church and trying to get as relationally close to what's happening to ensure that the principles that we've talked about are being honored is, you know, what we aim at. Yes, and to to that point, I just want to make another observation um, because, again, it was part of a discussion earlier this week. If some prognosticators are correct and we are headed for serious food shortage challenges um, here and abroad, then we may rethink that strategy and we may determine that we need to focus first on serving Our own families, um, in the same way that we do through our benevolence fund, as an example of mercy um, ministry in our midst, that's, you know, it could be open to discussion. We haven't had that discussion in the session, but we may need to rethink the way that we strategically prioritize that aspect of mercy ministry beginning first with our church family. Um, So these things are not um, hard and fast.
1: Those two link up pretty well, and I'm sure that there would and could be if you guys decided to rethink that at any point, if you would even have to Uh, a good a good connection
0: point there. Yes. Yes. Um, The meal train ministry is a wonderful example, by the way, of mercy and in-home hospitality. Uh, it's It's a very good point. Anybody else have thoughts in this um, important area of leadership? Again, if we don't model what it is to have the zeal for carrying the good news of the gospel, it ought to make us check. Ourselves, as I've been prompted to do even this week. It ought to prompt us to check ourselves and to check um, who it is that we are as a gathered people of God, reflecting what it is to receive the mercy of God in a way that's passionless versus purposeful and passionate because the passion that was given us and invested in us is then not playing itself forward. And too many churches of our ilk are not known for passion in this area. And we should take that seriously and endeavor in that regard to be very counter predictable in who we are and our witness in the world for Christ. All right, I hope this was helpful. Ben.
2: Could you just give a broad over sometime before I ask who's the... Uh, I heard somebody that uh, really has a good mission out there and I would like to see if our church would be interested in
0: that. Yes. Who do I contact? So on the... Back of this handout, supporting new missionaries and church planners, while suggestions for new opportunities are welcome, the session will have the primary responsibility of interviewing prospective missionaries and church planners that determine philosophical and strategic alignment, especially in the area of theological conviction, philosophy of ministry, and specific ministry goals. The level of financial support is decided by the session, considering the whole ministry of the church once a new partnership is established The session will entrust non-financial support activities to the volunteers because we believe in the equipping of the saints. So this is people rallying in different roles um, from the congregation organized to support the mission's ministry leader. So to answer your question specifically, um, at this point, if you are aware of a ministry and some of you have already done this in this room. You've come to the session, come to me as the point person. I can help um, bring that to the session agenda for uh, consideration. And, uh, and we are right now just transitioning to a new uh, missions team leader. Uh, Stephen Bryant served in that role, as many of you know, for some time. And, um, and that is being formally transitioned. I don't know that that has um, been announced yet to the congregation, so I will defer on that point um, today. But uh, we're very excited about um, evangelism, missions, and outreach continuing to be a very vibrant part of the life of our church here at Christ's Covenant. Does that answer your question, Ben? And then Will had something he wanted to share in closing. (laughs) You're you're right on time. Yeah. Um, Anybody else? Dan, I think you're the only... Have any of you spent time in a missions context, extended period of time overseas? Yeah. You have?
2: I served with my family for seven years in China.
0: Really? I didn't know that. Any piece of context you'd add on this discussion from that?
2: Um, just just that that book, I remember at the end of our first year there we had gone a whole year and seen no fruit as it were and I remember at the end of the year we're uh, coming home for a a summer leave I was in a teaching context so we, we were students we were coming home for a summer leave and I remember feeling a great deal of pressure you're going to come home and people are going to ask you, what, what has
3: happened? Mm. How
2: many converts did you get? Mm. And we saw nothing particular. And I felt a great deal of pressure about that. And um, the Lord, in His mercy, gave us a gift at the end of that year where I had a student of mine come to my house, knock on my door, and ask me for a Bible. Mm. I had no clue. Out of the blue, she asked for a Bible. Of course, we gave her one. Mm. And at that moment is when it hit me. It, it's not the activities that we do. It's the activities that, that the Spirit does in the lives of these kids. And we came home for the summer, went back in August. And she comes back and says, here's your Bible, by the way. I'm a Christian now. I was like, no, that's your mm. Bible, mm. Uh, not mine. And um, it, it was a great lesson mm. for me. And Mm. at that time, I was pretty firmly Arminian in my overall beliefs. Mm. I didn't even realize the transition that was happening at that time in in my faith process.
0: The theology of dependence matters enormously in this area. Um, We have a young man who came and met with me um, earlier this week. He should be at the service at 11, who I don't know that I would say... Has been wrestling with suicidal thoughts, but uh, deep insecurity in terms of who he is as a man in the world—is he significant enough? Is he actually short-changing God because he's not significant enough in the work that he's doing in the world, and he's in this downward spiral? it, It was really alarming to me to sense the extent of the spiral that's on him because he's processing things in a God frame and saying, I'm unworthy because he doesn't really understand the theology of dependence. The most dangerous men I've ever known in my life are the men who say, I am my own. I am my own. I got it. Thank you. There's no theology of dependence in them. And they're the most um, desperately in trouble. Um, That that changed the the, the
2: way we did ministry for six more years and God in his mercy gave us that the first year we were there.
0: Yep. I prayed yesterday, um, was working, uh, doing some construction work with Patrick Crahan. Patrick was going yesterday evening to meet with a CrossFit friend who he'd kind of lost touch with but has been sharing the gospel with. Patrick Crahan models to me what it is to be evangelistic. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for it. He, he sharpens my, uh, my fervor. You know? And we remind each other what it is to be winsome or not. We remind each other what it is to be dependent on prayer and not seek anything other than the Lord's will be done as we show up in moments of invitation. With a theology of commission, with a theology of gratitude, with a theology of dependence, and with a theology of martyrdom, being willing to have it cost us something and knowing that it's more important uh, to be found faithful in those moments. Dan, do you have anything as the other missionary in the room that you'd like to share on this subject in closing? You're wearing a bow tie, and also I figure you've got something, something, don't you think? He's got to have something smart to say wearing a bow tie.
3: School to be a pastor.
0: That, gentlemen, is the best way that we could end this discussion is to be reminded that evangelism is best understood in the context of worship. And so we um, prepare to head to worship now. Let's um, close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, oh, what a... Glory it is to consider who you are and all that you have done for us and to consider what it is to be in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ in the world. To know the company of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as we seek broken desperately broken people that we are. To carry an outward face individually and collectively as a church that honors you and that points people outside the church toward the life-giving thrill of being a part of the church a part of the church covenantal, a part of the church triumphant, a part of um, the church against which the gates of hell will not prevail because it is your bride. Help us to contend for her. Help us to delight in her. Thank you for the humble privilege of what it is to make your name more famous to the ends of the earth. In Christ's name we pray, amen.